0: listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Moscow Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hi, family. How are you? Glad you're here this morning. We're going to jump back into our Shaping Faith series, and I'm super stoked uh, about this particular one because this one for me is kind of a, a hobby horse. It's something that I think is real important. It's changed my life. Um, we've been talking about this, how do we get into spiritual fitness, spiritual shape. And we had our core four to begin with. What was our core four? P- text, prayer, worship, and fasting. You got to say them in order or we can't do this as a group. <laughs> you all had them, but you had them all in different orders. So yeah, good. So text, prayer. Worship and fasting. Those are our core four that kind of personally develop us as humans. And then we've been in the middle of this uh, section on this, the circle of healthy community. We have eight pieces to that, and that's something that um, you can add to that list. Some people would like to take other pieces out and, and add in some other things. That's fine. It's not your list, it's my list. So this is the list we're working through. And um, so this is, uh, is kind of where we're at in the middle of the series. I, today, we're going to talk about identity. As a part of Um, healthy community because we live in a world where everything is competing to try to tell you who you are on a lot of different levels. There's, there's, uh, you got to you don't make enough money or you do make enough money or you have the right job or the right like look or like th- whether it's weight or clothes or your education or the side of town that you live on or the kind of car that you drive or your um, orientation or your whatever you identify. like there's, a, there's It's just a mess. Like identity is a real issue in our culture. And so I want to begin with this fundamental premise about, community. And here it is. The most fundamental purpose of all relationship is that it helps us understand who we really are from God's perspective. That's the most fundamental purpose for all of the relationships that you have. All of them. Doesn't matter if it's a spouse or a friend or a group of friends or a teacher or the most fundamental purpose of relationship is to help us understand who we are from God's perspective. And so what I want to do today is to pull out, I'm going to pull out four tenets, and then I want to look at three examples of what it means to struggle with your identity. So we have four tenets of identity, and then three examples of what it means to struggle with our identity, okay? So tenet number one about identity is this. God knit you together in your mother's womb. Like, you need to know that about you. God made you. Okay, so I want to read Psalm 139, and we'll come back and talk about this. For you formed me, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret and intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet... There was none of them. And and I've said this before, but it bears repeating. When you were conceived, God looked over the whole world and said, What does it need? And then He went into your mother's womb and He made it. You are a gift that God gave the world. And it's really important for you to understand that because when you understand that, then you're able to say, okay, if that's true, then I got to figure out what kind of gift I'm supposed to be. Am I supposed to be like a gift, like a jack in the box? Surprise. <laughs> you're like, that's, a, I don't know. Maybe that's who you are. I just made that up right here. First service didn't get that. It's bonus material. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what kind of gift am I supposed to be for the world? If that's true, God knit me together. What did he make me to be, right? Here's a second tenet that I believe about your identity. It's that God marks a path for you to follow. So God made you, and then he helps kind of identify the direction you're supposed to go. Look at Proverbs 16. It says, the heart of a man plans his way... But the Lord establishes his steps. You know what that means? It doesn't matter how hard you try to blow it, you cannot mess up God's plan for you. You can't. Because you can plan all your ways. And I have really tried to self-destruct in my life. Like many of us have that story where we really tried to blow it. You can't. You cannot thwart God's plan for you. So rather than trying to kick against it, it might be better for us to just understand it and embrace it because it's going to be way better for all of us and for all the people that we influence. Tenet number three, our fundamental responsibility in this life is to walk out the path that God has set for us. Like that's, that's what we're supposed to do as human beings, whether that's path of how we steward creation or what kind of career we choose or what kind of parent we are or what kind of friend we are. It doesn't matter. Our fundamental responsibility in this life is to walk out the path that God has set for us. Proverbs 21.2 says this, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Like you're, you're going to be weighed out by the Lord in the choices that you make. Did you do this to honor the Lord? And, and here's the thing before you go, oh my goodness, this whole God's will thing, and it's such a, it's a tightrope. God, I don't look at, a lot of people look at God's will like a tightrope, right? Like you're walking this, like, this, I can't get off God's will, you know, <laughs> and then ah, okay, right? I don't see that. That's not how God's will functions, right? God's will is like a canyon, okay? And there's lots of paths that weave in and out of each other in that canyon and sometimes all those paths converge into one kind of single path cuz God's like no 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 you're gonna do this. But sometimes there's a lot of choices and there's not one worse or better than another as long as we're within the canyon. Does that make sense? Like there is choice. Sometimes God comes and intervenes directly, but a lot most of our life is giving us general choices that stay within a set of parameters for our life. That's that's better understanding of God's will. Right? So why Why would would you want to jump out of the canyon? It's only bad, right? That's like the matrix. Like you come out of Zion and you go up to the surface of the earth and you go, this sucks. Uh, This is really bad. Um, So fourth tenet of identity. When God formed us, the path he chose for us will maximize who he made us to be. Um, I want to throw something at you this morning. I don't know what you're going to do with this, so you do with it what you will. Everybody was like, I just want to be happy, right? I just want to be happy. All I want is happiness. I don't think that God gives two hoots about your happiness. And I know you're like, wait a minute, that's not the God of the Bible. No, actually it is. God cares a whole lot about your wholeness and your holiness because in discovering those two things, happiness will be a byproduct Happiness is a choice that I make. It's not a choice that's made for me. So I can be in some really bad circumstances and choose happiness, but I have to choose it out of an emotional and spiritual whole place. If I'm emotionally and spiritually fractured and I'm trying to chase happiness, then that's a moving target that I'll never be able to hold on to. When God formed us, he chose for us a path that will maximize what he made us to be. And so consequently, we have to choose to give our whole selves to walking that path. Once we do, happiness will be a byproduct. But as long as we try to pursue happiness at the expense of faithfulness, we're making a huge mistake. Because it'll never, it'll never give you, you're going to the world for something that only God provides, that'll never work. It'll never work. Look at Romans 12. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's what he's talking about. He's like, look, we're not the same. And what happens in this world is we value certain things over one another, and so we wind up resenting things that uh, other people, because of what they have that we don't have. And that's wrong. Just because somebody's different than you doesn't make them better or worse for that matter. I, so, so I got to, to sit last week. I was, um, I've had this really cool opportunity to get some coaching for myself from a guy who's, uh, he's 71, he retired last year and his church was 30,000 people. Like that's bigger than Moscow, <laughs> right? That's how biggest church was. And, and uh, so he may have a few things to say about church growth and understanding how to manage a church well. And so I was like, man, I really want to learn. And I'm sitting in this small group with these seven other guys. And so there's him, 30,000. And then there's these other guys that are like 13,000, 10,000, 8,000 people in their church. And then there's me, (laughs) like over here on the Palouse. I'm like, what am I even doing here, right? Uh, And just super fortunate. I was super fortunate to be able to just sit and listen and glean. But like one of the things that was that I had to battle with that was interesting. I was like, I'm surprised by this. I had to battle with this. Like, why do they get those big churches and I don't? Like, what's what's the matter with me? I'm, like, I'm awesome. You should listen to me. (laughs) Just ask me. I'll tell you how, how worthy I am of this opportunity. Right? Like, what, what, why God... Why is, and we do this, like we, whatever your measuring rod is, it, we do this with people where it's like, well, why did they get that and I don't? I had the funniest conversation with a young guy, he was 21, 22, in Chicago one night um, and we were sitting down uh, having this random dinner time. It was at this weird place, but this kid sits down and he, he was a, a pita maker at Pita Pit and he went off on how he was so wrong that the CEO of Pita Pit made more money than him. He was like, "I'm the one who's with all the customers." I was like, "Yeah, you're right. You you totally have more responsibility than him." But like, we get into this into this comparison game with like, this is what we do. And if I'm not like you, or if I'm not the thing that everybody around me values, then I'm not I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I had the, another conversation with a young 20-year-old guy. He was like, "You know, I have a blog and nobody reads it, and I don't understand because I got stuff to say." I was like, "Go do something." Like, your life's a train wreck. Why would anybody listen to your your advice? Like, go do go actually do something with your life. Like, m- make yourself worth listening to. Anyway, it's like we just assume that because I have an opinion, everyone should bend to it. Like this is how we do. And if no one will bend to it, then we wind up resenting the other people that get that kind of influence. And so, we can we can get into this comparison game. Of, I'm not that or I am that. And it's hard. It's hard. So I want to look at three examples of people in the scripture who their identity could not be shaken and what we can learn from them about us as a community helping one another gain a sense of identity in ourselves. Number one, we're going to look at Moses. And the truth that we want to pull out of Moses' life is this we cannot escape our identity. You cannot get away from what God has made you to be. Now, whether or not you submit that to the Lord is another issue. But you cannot escape your identity. It will find expression. I want to take a look at Exodus 2. It says this, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became became her son. And she named him Moses, which means to draw out. There's a lot of layers to his name, to his meaning, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, remember, this is important about names in the Bible. Names aren't just a tag. Names are a description of your identity, right? And if you think about Moses and who he becomes, of course his name means drawn out. He can't help himself, and his identity finds all kinds of bad ways to express itself. And then God wants to redeem it. And, God, and Moses is like, no, I'm totally the wrong guy. Like, here's the story. So he grows up in Pharaoh's house and he walks out and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And what does he do? He kills the Egyptian. Why? Because Moses has to help the underdog. He has to. He can't help himself. It's who he is, and then he gets caught. He thought he got away with it, but he gets caught, and so he runs scared and goes to Midian and sits down at a well, and Zipporah and her sisters come to water their flocks, right? Well, these other shepherds start picking on them. What does Moses do? He drives off the other shepherds. Why? Because he has to help the underdog, He has to. So when God comes to Moses and he says, hey, I got a bunch of underdogs that have been slaves for 480 years. I'm gonna use you to deliver them. Moses goes, yeah, I'm the wrong guy. (laughs) Like, no. God's like, really? Um, You're right. I made a total mistake. I I don't know what I was thinking, right? I mean, I saw, but then I didn't see. Um, Like, really? Of course. No, you're the only, you're tailor made for this. You're tailor-made for this. You cannot run from who God has made you to be. It will find expression. And I got a buddy who uh, lives in Singapore. He's been doing research on human kind of design, innate design, 25 years. Here's what he says. What's interesting is your identity will find expression, and if you don't know what it is and how to submit it to the Lord, it'll find expression in some really unhealthy ways. In fact, He was doing research in um, Singapore prisons and what he found is that every single person that was in a Singapore prison landed there by an expression of their design. Think about that. Like, here's an example. He had this guy that was in prison for armed robbery. Right, well how's that an expression of your design? Here's how. His mom suffered from chronic pain. They didn't have money to buy medication for her. So he went to the store to rob the store to get money to buy the medication so that his mom could get some relief. He got busted and got put in prison for it, right? Now, what we do in our culture with a situation like that is say, stop robbing stores. But we don't ever celebrate and honor the motive that would drive it in the first place. And we do this when we're parenting our children and it's super destructive. Right, It's super destructive. When all we do is just take away bad behavior, like stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. And we, we crush their will because they're smaller and weaker than you for a little while. But they're not going to be that way forever. And so what we have to do is understand that celebrating the motive below that that was good, like the expression of it, bad. The expression was bad, but the motive, good celebrate and redeem that piece. Do this with your, like, with your spouses, with your co-workers, with with your friends, like, to celebrate the good redeeming thing that maybe it led to a bad choice, but find that piece of them that's like, you know, that must have felt like this, and that part is good, right? What we'll find is that all, when we, all we do is take away the action. We, number one, we don't give people any sense of themselves. And number two, all we're doing is narrowing their field of decision making. We're taking stuff away without ever putting something back. So we don't ever give them more options. Does that make sense? Like, you can't run from who you are, and so rather than, rather than trying to punish the bad action, what if we spend time trying to focus on the underlying motive that was actually good? That might change how we have a conversation in community. Another example here is this. This is out of Abraham. Slow it up there. Next slide. Mark, set, go. And there we are. God will call out our identity before it is realized. God will give you a sense of who you are before you fully realize who you are. Right? I love this story about Abraham. Genesis 17. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but I will change your name to Abraham, which means father. How many kids did Abraham have when God called him father? None. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. This is God's promise to Abraham. He's in his hundreds, and he doesn't have any kids yet. Try this on in your marriage, because here's what happens in marriage a lot, is that we start to resent what our spouse isn't. I wish you were more like this, I wish you would do this, or wives, Solomon. there's a reason why Solomon says a nagging wife is like a dripping faucet. (laughs) He had 700 wives, he ought to know. He's got a lot of data. Because when all you do is come in and help your husband by telling him all the things that he's doing wrong, it's not helpful. What you do is turn him into somebody that only wants to sit in his chair and watch TV. Because if he does anything else, it's wrong. What if, what if, you're just like, "Mm, my man, look at him. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a hard worker, my man. He's sitting in his chair. My, my man works so hard. He deserve a break. Mm, 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 love that man. Right? Yeah, do that. He'd be like, that's right. That's right. And I work so hard. I do deserve a break. And now I'm going to get up out of this chair. I'm going to clean the garage. He'd be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I told you. He will become what you say he is. Call out the identity before it's true. Call it out before, he will, seriously, your kids will do this too. They will become what you say they are. Positive or negative. You know the scars that you carry in your own heart because people spoke yuck into your life. Whether that was you're not enough here or you're bad there or you shouldn't that, whatever it is, you know you know the scars that you carry in your heart because of that. Stop doing it to other people. Call out the truth of who they are before it's true. You'll change the world. You'll change the world. Third example, and this is out of Life of Jacob. Sometimes it's hard to see how what we really are is good. Sometimes it's hard to see how what we really are is good. I want to I look at two, two examples out of Jacob's life, one from Genesis 32 and the one from Genesis 35. It says that Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, by the way, we know that this man is an angel from the context, um, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. wrestling. So apparently, this angel is really good at jujitsu. He put a wha. Um, I don't want to get all technical on you. And then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? Now, remember this identity piece with name. And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So let's set this up, what's going on here. Because we look at that and go, oh, that's interesting. He changed his name. No, 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 no. The name Jacob literally means heel grabber, and the idea of it, it kind of takes on this nuance of deceiver or supplanter. It's kind of a negative name, but the idea of being a heel grabber is that he has all of this perpetual ambition to always be working angles. He's always trying to put himself in a position where he wants to get ahead, He's always thinking about himself first and he's manipulating circumstances to give himself an asset. And God's like, man, if I could get a hold of that, that'd be a pretty cool thing to use. Right? Jacob, I mean, he does it with Laban, right? He manipulates the sheep and then Laban kind of outmaneuvers. He outcons the con man, right? Gives him Leah instead of Rachel. So Jacob has to work another seven years, but it felt like days because of his love for Rachel. (laughs) And then... Uh, so he's a romantic. We love that part. Um, and then um, God comes to him and changes his name to Israel, wrestles with God. And what God says to him is this Stop trying to wrestle with people and outmaneuver them. Take it up with me. If you'll do that, Jacob, I'll take care of all the rest. And so he comes and changes his name, but Jacob has a hard time with it. So God has to come back and say this again in Genesis 35. And God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And Jacob said to him, your name is Jer." And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. God comes to him and says, Jacob, remember who you are. And I I feel like, like name changes are powerful. I think everybody should have a nickname from the people that are close to them. Like... And it should, ha- it should be rooted in something. Like it should be rooted in meaning, right? And it shouldn't be a transferable nickname that you call everybody. It should be theirs and theirs alone and that should have special meaning and purpose. Why? Because it gives, number one, it gives a, th- like this is what I see in you. And number two, it gives a, a, a more intimate connection between the two people, right? Like all my kids have nicknames. All their friends have nicknames um, from me. Uh, the, it's, just, it's just one of those things where, for me, uh, I think that's a super powerful thing in community, that as we name people, that we call them by their name, that we're calling them by more than just a tag. We're giving them a sense of identity that's rooted in something real and true and good. Because when you call your kids a problem or a liar or something like that, you're also giving them a name rooted in identity, just not the identity that we want to bring out. And with that in mind, we're gonna move towards the Lord's table. And this is an invitation for all of us who are willing to um, celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus together. You can partake in communion with us, but we want you to hold the elements till the end. We'll take them all together. While they're passing that out, I wanna work through some questions for our home groups this week. These are questions that I think are good discussion makers as we, especially like in your home group, you ought to know each other well enough to be able to at least have in a general sense celebrate who somebody is. And the first question is, what has God made you to be? Now, we are, people are more or less aware of that, uh, depending on their own personal self-awareness, how much discovery they've done, that kind of thing. What I would suggest is this, is if you have somebody that's struggling to answer that question, there's an exercise in your uh, notes there that I would highly recommend that you do just as a way to, to identify kind of some of the good things about people. Um, and if you're not in a home group, do this with your family around the table this week. Have everybody write down three things that you're like, these are the three th- values that are most important to me. And then once somebody shares, have everyone around the table go around and validate where you see those values played out in that person's life. It's a powerful exercise. It's a powerful exercise for you guys to do. Number two, what lies have you held on to that are getting in the way of God's best for your life? What are the lies that the world has told you? Where are you in your mind? I am not blank enough. Whatever, fill in your blank. I am not enough here. And I'm wrong and I can't measure up and I, don't, I will never be able to do this or that or whatever, and therefore, I can't live into the best that God wants for my life. Eh. Listen, Satan loves to keep you stuck there, because if you're set free and you actually take hold of those things, watch out. Because dang, not only are you going to be set free, but everyone around you is going to be drawn to that light. That's pretty awesome. Change the world. Number three, of the three biblical characters that we looked at, which one do you connect with most and why? Do you connect with Moses in the sense of just, I, I can't, I keep, keep finding, I keep showing up in a bad way. I, I don't like myself. I keep showing up in a bad way. Um, think about this. I have a lot of young ladies that come into my office that are like, my life is a mess, and I'm trying to figure out why I always pick the wrong guy, Right? what they find is, if you go back to that Romans 12 passage, like if it's serving, let them serve. This is a person who is innately designed to meet the needs of people, okay? Now, if God knit you together in your mother's womb and he chooses your path, then a person who's innately designed to meet the needs of other people, what kind of people are gonna be on their path? People who have lots of needs. And then what they do is they find the one with the biggest need and they fall in love with them because they don't have good boundaries, because they don't understand how to leverage their design for service. Like, we're all called to serve, but there are people who are innately designed for it, right? It's like we're all called to be able to teach the truth. There are people who are gifted to, to teach. There, we're all called to be leaders and examples, but there are people who are gifted to lead. These are people who are gifted to meet the needs of other people. In, They keep falling for people because they don't understand that that's who they are, they don't understand that that's a good thing and they don't understand how to put God's boundaries around it. So they wind up constantly getting taken advantage of. Like, maybe that's you, maybe that's Moses, right? His, His design keeps showing up in a bad way. Maybe you're just like Jacob and you're having a hard time owning the fact that you are what God says you are, right? Maybe that. Next question. How can the group help one another live out more of the truth of who God says we are? That's a really good question. Because as a group, like that should be one of our fundamental bi- binding points in our group is that we're calling out what we see God doing in other people, especially in these people that we're close to. It's one of the reasons why home groups are so important. And it's one of the reasons why I recommend that you get in one if you're not in one. I love... Taking communion, every week we take communion. And I love it because it's this call back to a God who says there's no place that I won't go to show you how much I love you and I'm for you. And it's a, it's a real reminder of what it means for us to live into the truth that God has made us and has good plans for us. It's this laying down of our life. And you have to understand, like. This whole piece of identity, this whole laying down of our own dreams. This is why God's way for you isn't just right. I've been screaming this for 12 years here. God's way for you isn't just right. It's better than anything you can come up with on your own. Why? Because he understands how to marry your design and your path. He's the only one that understands that. So just submitting to his path for you is better than anything you can come up with on your own. And so this is an opportunity for us to say, God, I've had a hard time trusting you, but I want your best for my life. And so I want to tell you and everybody in this room that I'm taking communion with that I'm in. So this reminds us on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup and he said, this cup... It's a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, thanks so much that you didn't just wind us up and send us strolling through this life without any purpose or direction, but that you have this amazing experience for us to take hold of so that we can show other people how valuable they are, We can understand how valuable we are, and we can show the world what you're like. God, give us insight this week as we wrestle with um, what that means and and what that actually looks like for us. And uh, as we're in our home groups this week, Lord, help us to to really begin to wrestle with this question of how we can call that peace out of one another. In your name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.